What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week, my host, guest is Mark Caruso. I almost said host because I know you do your own show. <laughs> What's going on, Mark? How you doing, Brian? Great to see you, my friend. Doing good. Good to see you as well. It's been a while to see you since one of the Florida trips I made this year. It's uh, it's about that time of the year where everything just literally runs together in the racing world, right? Yeah, you got that right. You, you do so right. many you do so many events, you do so much, and you, like people would be like, oh, you know, back in December, and you're sitting there thinking, oh, wow, that was like, yeah, that was a little while ago. Or you could say, <laughs> oh, last month, you're like, wait, that was just last month? I thought that was last year. It just, I know, it does. It feels like last year we were down in Orlando for uh, West Bucks race there, but in the Gator Nationals, that seems like uh, an eternity ago, but it was, it was just this past winter. Yeah, yeah, that exactly. That's what it was. It seems like it was an eternity ago. It's like, wow, that was not that long ago. And it's you, you forget sometimes how many miles you rack up either air or on the road after a while, right? No, oh, yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're actually off to uh, stop. Well, if you count the Pro Stars race that they just had in Virginia, we're off to stop number eight on the PDRA. Seems like just yesterday we were down at Modern Racing getting Camry's seat poured, <laughs> and here we are at stop eight especially when you do a series kind of racing, you don't realize how quickly that starts to add up. And I, I know I've been there, done that before. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh wow. It's almost Thanksgiving. How long, how long have we been racing again? <laughs> I know. Right. Crazy. But, Absolutely but it, crazy. It, it, to, and I guess that speaks volumes about what we do is that it runs together like that. You, you know, they say time flies when you're having fun. I mean, it really does. That's a fact. That's a fact. Mm. I've been doing it a long time and I have yet to find anything more fun than drag race. Yeah. That, you know what? That's a great dovetail into my first question. I, I did a, I, I try to do some fact checking and reading up on my guests beforehand to hit you with fun questions and whatnot. And I didn't realize you started out, you know, as a sportsman racer, both the IHRA and HRA racked up national wins in both, which again, never underestimate or underscore winning a national event in a sportsman class. I know some people, oh, they're just sportsman racers. I'm like, it's not easy, but (laughs) let's, let's go back and let's look at that. Can you remember what it was like the first time going to the final round at a big show event? Cause that's, that's life changing. It really is, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. And I'll tell you, it was, I was IHRA sportsman racing. Um, I'm going to show my age here a little bit. It was 21 years ago. Um, almost actually 21 years ago this month, it used to be, uh, the IHRA world nationals used to be held at Norwalk raceway park the weekend before Indy, uh, every year. Um, and in 2000, I was racing a class called hot rod. And that's actually where my nickname, the rod father came from. Cause I was racing in the IHRA. They called them the rod classes. Um, cause there was hot rod, super rod, quick rod, which were the index classes. And, um, that year I, there was, um, I want to say there was a hundred, I can't remember exactly what it was. I want to say for some reason, 108 is sticking in my brain, 108 entries. And it might've actually been more than that, uh, qualified number two and went on to win the race. It was a seven round race. Cool. which back then was unheard of. Um, nowadays, all those big bracket races are all that. But yeah, it was a seven round race. And um, that was my first national event when was at Norwalk Raceway Park. And it was an IHRA. Yep. It was it was pretty, uh, it was a long grueling weekend. I can tell you that seven rounds is <laughs> that's a lot of rounds between qualifying and eliminations in the pro categories that's about what you get is seven rounds and that's what's cool about that is you know like 21 years ago I was still in college and even before that I remember going to Norwalk back in the day when it was still IHRA and it's crazy that you know you go to what that track used to be and then I was just there for the night under fire to see what it is now is amazing. But I could only imagine back then racing, there weren't as many uh, technological advancements and to win in the sportsman ranks. I mean, you absolutely had to earn it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a whole different ball game back then. 
the, the tight packages that you see today, um, you didn't see them as much back then. And, you know, it was, um, you know, it, there was a small group of people that really understood, um, you know, driving the finish line and, and holding some numbers and all those things you hear them talking about today when it comes down to bracket racing or class racing. Um, but there was a, th- th- that, that group was very small that understood it back then. So, you know, the people that really understood it were, were able to take advantage of it and get some wins. Um, but nowadays it's, it's, everybody's got pretty much the same technology in their cars. Um, and everybody has the access to knowing and understanding driving both ends of the track and holding numbers and all that. Um, but there, there was a lot, a lot that went into it. Um, I remember one time, um, and if anybody follows any kind of sportsman racing, they'll be familiar with the name Dan Fletcher. Um, yeah. but I, I, <laughs> I can remember one time, um, I forget, I can't remember what racetrack it was at, but I remember seeing Dan Fletcher. They used to have those portable, uh, wind meters so you could see what the wind was. And I remember, um, coming out of my motorhome and seeing Dan about half track where the, uh, bleachers ended. And he was getting the wind reading there to understand the difference of the wind beyond the bleachers versus what it was at the starting line. I mean, and that's the kind of stuff, you know, and when a, when a, when a guy's trying to earn his living, he needs to do those things. So that's the kind of grueling stuff that goes on in those sportsman categories to try and turn on a wind light. And you mentioned Dan Fletcher and you talk about someone there that, you know, is such a, he is the John force of sportsman racers hands. Down. Absolutely. That dude has won, I think in every NHRA sportsman class and to say he's dominated is an understatement. That dude is just, he's on a different level. It's funny. You talk to him now and he talks about how he's I'm slowing down. I'm slowing down. But at the same time, his intensity level is about eight times greater than people half his age. It's amazing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. With your experience, you know, sportsman racing, we'll say at a high level, because again, winning a national event and chasing points is not an easy task. Is that something that's required even at that level is to have that kind of drive and intensity if you want to consistently win? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of stuff that rolled over for me, I'd say probably one of the biggest things um, that rolled over for me when I got into uh, pro mod racing um, was just trying to be consistent, which, you know, the, the tuners really appreciate, you know, being consistent on your burnout, being consistent on the way that you stage the car, um, you know, those type of things make a big difference in the professional category. Um, and you know, we're, you're really trying to hone in on those things on the sportsman end. And a lot of the professional guys didn't really understand that or don't understand that. Um, but those things make a huge, huge difference. You know, you, you accidentally, uh, in qualifying, you know, put your car in a little deeper than the the crew chief wants you to, and he's not going to be real happy with you. Um, but you know, on race day, they may be okay with it, but when it comes to qual, you know, they, they really want to see you be very, very consistent on the burnout stage in the car. Um, and like I said, you know, all those things for me came from sportsmen and I was able, you know, to, to carry that on. And I know, uh, I know, you know, the, the, the uh, crew chiefs that I worked with in my time definitely noticed and appreciated, you know, that. You know, that, that, that actually kind of leads me to a different question. I already know the answer to this, but I want to see if I can get you to say it. Now, you talk about consistency, and in pro mod, I don't think a lot of people understand what that really means. And that, you know, you are trying to get make sure that car is the same every run after run. What are the, some of the things that you're looking at as a driver? Because, you know, everybody's got their routines. You know, you're going to do your burnout the same way, I'm imagining, stuff like that. But once that's done, what are you looking at to make sure you keep it consistent run after run? Well, you know, w- one of the big things for me um, was just, you know, the way that I staged the car. You know, once, 
Um, you know, you, you always see the guy up front bringing you in to where you're just about, you know, to turn on that top bulb. And, you know, once I would do that, I was very, very methodical that I barely just turned on that second bulb. And for me, it was a little bit of gas and just ever so slightly pumping that brake pedal, pumping that brake pedal. So that thing just literally quarter inch at a time, you know, if not less to just barely flicker and, and keep that bottom bulb on. Um, and then, you know, after that, you know, in pro in pro mod, you know, I, I haven't had the opportunity and it doesn't look like I'm, I'm going to have the opportunity because they switched the rule back, you know, but they implemented, you know, the manual shifting there for a moment, but, for as long as I've been involved in ProMod, um, the, you know, there's been auto shifters. So we really haven't had to be much more consistent other than leaving the starting line very consistent. Um, and then the second was, you know, getting the shoots out, you know, just enough time where you're kind of letting some of that weight out as you're going through uh, the finish line. You know, that was always something that it, I tried to do very consistently as well except for one time in Bristol, it didn't work out real well. But other than that. And the other thing I was wondering too, is I know in, in bracket racing, index racing, that there's certain things like, you know, your engine temperature, oil temperature and RPMs, that all has to remain the same too. And that's something you guys have to do with these pro mods as well, right? Because it's one of the things that I've always, it, it, it never clicked me. I didn't know that you'll hear guys whapping the throttle. Sometimes they're not doing that just to have a good time. There's a purpose behind that at the starting line, isn't there? Yeah. I, you know, some of the guys have that in their routine. I wasn't one of them, you know, um, our, so a lot of those injector hats are very finicky. Um, and if you don't have them just right, um, you know, they will creep on you and you'll, you'll, you'll hear them. Rah, rah, rah you know um most crew chiefs don't want the car to sound that way they wanted a clean, nice clean idle um you know and lee white always gave me a good clean idle so i never really had to um um and really the only gauge that was in my car was just an oil pressure gauge there wasn't any rpm gauge or you know that was the only uh gauge in my car was an oil temperature so as long as it had oil pressure um and uh, parts and pieces weren't flying off of it. I was letting go to the button and driving her to the finish line. Uh, the uh, the old uh, Bill Lutz <laughs> train of thought. I've talked to him before. That's what he said. He said, literally, he goes, he didn't have a gauge. He just had a dummy light. He said, foot yeah. through the floor. As long as that light wasn't on. And like you said, there was no smoke. <laughs> didn't care about anything else, which I didn't like. It kind of took me back at first. And then on the other side of things, you hear some of the guys like they're watching like said engine temperature and even like oil temperature and stuff like that. And they're, they're whapping that throttle at the line to make sure that they're at like that absolute target yeah. temperature that they need for repeatability. And it, it, I guess a lot of people might have that misconception, all these pro mods, they just get up there and let go of the button. No, you want your data to all be in line so you can make the adjustments you need between rounds and so on. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, you, you're doing well in the sportsman racing and whatnot. You started to step up to a sp pro top sportsman and then pro mod. Why, why did you decide to kind of make that ascension out of the index classes? Because there's a lot of guys like, you know, Dan Fletcher are happy to, to live there and do well. But, you know, I, I always find it interesting. Why did you decide to, you know, crank up the speed and the uh, dollars amount spent? Um, I blame it all on my father, <laughs> AKA like so Papa else. Joe. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 um, at one point, you know, I had a super gas car, I had a super comp car. Um, you know, I was running around running, you know, two cars at, at NHRA events and, um, but my father growing up always had top sportsman cars and then even got into pro modified. He, um, he had some health issues early on in life that stopped him from being a driver. Um, and at that time he had a very good friend of his, Mike Cusimano driving all his top sportsman cars and, and they went pro mod racing together. Um, and like, you know, I was coming up as a kid, you know, in the IHRA days, you know, running hot rod and, and super rod and then top dragster a little bit. And then, then I went NHRA super gas and, and, um, and super comp. And then, um, 
Then I actually got out of racing for about three years. Um, I had three of my children, two, two of my children and, and um, my, one of my stepdaughters, all in um, junior dragsters at one time. <laughs> so time uh, yes. So, you know, I was driving around with a stack or trailer full of junior dragsters in it. Um, and, uh, you know, it, and at that time, um, there was about a two year period where my father had sold everything and he was out of racing. And they, we started going to some ADRL races with the kids, with the junior dragsters. And, um, about the second year of doing that, my father was like, what do you think? You know, he goes, we're already coming to these. What do you think we get a top sportsman car? And, uh, I said, yeah, you know, that, that, that probably wouldn't be a bad, you know, bad deal. I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind getting in to a top sportsman car. So we started looking and that's when we got that white cobalt, um, which had three stages of nitrous on it. And, um, then the, that was the year that the ADRL went bust. And then the, then there was the PDRA and the XDRL and ADRL and all these other different things. And it was kind of goofy. So, um, ended up just going top sportsman racing back in NHRA again. And then I would take the kids, um, locally to, to junior drag racing. And then about a year later, um, my daughter continued and went into a, a big car. She got, went down to Frank Holly's and got licensed. Um, and then I did about three years with the, the white cobalt top sportsman racing. And we were at a, um, a quick eight deal in Lancaster, uh, dragway in Buffalo. It was the end of the season. And, um, I looked over and my father was standing at the back of the car with Mike Janice and they were talking and, um, as I walked up, Mike Janice said, uh, well, congratulations. And I didn't know what he was congratulating me for. Huh? <laughs> and, uh, I said, yeah, I says, well, what's that? He says, oh, he says, uh, you and your father just bought my Promot car. <laughs> I said, we did. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's kind of how that, and, and actually funny, the crazy part about that is, when we bought it, we uh, initially planned to go top sportsman racing with it and even went down to, um, at the time, IHRA was still running a divisional slash sportsman national in Immokalee, Florida. I don't know if you've ever been to Immokalee drag strip. I have not, but I've heard of it. It's very, very small. It's a great, the Hesters are awesome that own that track. Great people. Um, but it's, it's no Z max. <laughs> okay. It's got, it's got, character. <laughs> it's got character. Uh, yeah. So, um, I actually, I think I still hold the track record down there. We went down there to top sportsman race and I went like a, th and this was back in, uh, 2015, I think. And I went like a 383 or something. I went something crazy. And people are like, are you out of your stinking mind? Um, but uh, so we left there and we went to Gainesville for the divisional race, the Baby Gators, and ended up going. Um, we were trying to go like a like a 630 maybe. And we went like a, I think we went like a 613. <laughs> <laughs> and uh um so we got through that race and kind of decided you know what we probably can't slow this thing down enough to top sportsman race and we ended up at rockingham for our pdra race it was our very first one that we went to and ran pro boost there and qualified fairly well i think we qualified like ninth or tenth and made it to the semis um and and my stepdaughter ended up winning the bracket race there that weekend and her dragster and so we had a lot of fun and needless to say, we never turned back. We, we went full bore into PDRA racing and, um, it's been, you know, it's been a great, great deal. And then, uh, I want to say in 2018, 2018, Wes Buck invited us out to, uh, Denver for the, uh, world series of pro mod. And at that point, um, 
I had not quarter mile pro mod raced yet. Um, and actually we were in our new car. We bought, um, we bought Todd Tuttero's 69 Camaro. Um, and put a brand new Noonan 4.9 in it and decided to drive all the way out to Denver and see what we could do. <laughs> oh, it seems uh, like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Whatever it takes, you know? And, um, it was funny because, um, while we were there, my father had asked Lee White, you know, after about three, four days of testing and he goes, so what do you think? He goes, you think we got something that we can run with these NHRA guys? And Lee was like, well, how hard could it be? So, uh, you know, we, uh, we ended up running well out there and, uh, got a call from at the time it was Danny Rowe was running the RPM, the real pro mod series within the NHRA. And he invited us to go out to Indy and we went out to Indy and that was in 2018. That was my very first NHRA pro modified race. And we had a blast and I think we went to one or two more that year. Um, and uh, that's it's kind of all steamrolled from there. Now I want to get some your more some more of your thoughts on pro mod racing, but first we have to uh, pause for a brief commercial interlude here on the Dragzine podcast. Bowyer Engineering has been racing across five decades and through three generations of family. We have also been supporting sportsman ranks since the beginning with our lightning fast two day turnaround time. Everything we make from axles, rear ends, suspension, brakes. And more made right here in the USA with one goal in mind, so you can win. To learn more, check us out online at MosureEngineering.com. All right, we're back. So you started to steamroll into Pro Mod, and I talked to a lot of racers on this show, and surprisingly enough, Nitro racers and others are terrified of Pro Mods. A Nitro racer will say, I would never drive one of those. What do you enjoy about driving one of these monsters? Well, you know, for the longest time, you know, like anything, why anybody drag races uh, initially is because they have the need for speed, right? I mean, it's, there's nothing like, you know, letting go of that button and getting put, you know, to the back of the seat there um, and then just charging, charging, charging. Um, they are a handful, you know, I have driven dragsters um i've driven all sorts of sorts of doors cars um pro mods like you don't know what could happen from the minute you do the burnout um to the minute you leave the starting line till eighth mile when it's a little bit out of the groove and you stayed in it just a hair too long to going through the finish line and you know pulling the chutes and the ass into the car is a foot off the ground. Um, you know, you, they're just extremely unpredictable. Um, you never know what's going to happen, um, but they're just a lot of fun to drive. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it harkens back to why, why guys like, you know, fireworks and tequila because they're dangerous. Yep. You don't know what, <laughs> you don't know what's going to come of it. And it, to me, it's amazing watching pro mods at any they, they've been around for a long time, but they're still not refined, if you know what I mean. Like, they're, they're refined, but they're still edgy. Like, you, like, oh, yeah. I think you definitely summed that up. You don't know what these cars are going to do at any one. Like, a car that you will see someone that's consistently going down the track at any one time, that driver's still thinking in the back of his mind every time he lets go of the button, what are you going to do this time? And then, you know, you, you pull oh, yeah. the grenade, right? Absolutely. One bazillion percent. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you, you know, my daughter has been after me to, to get in our pro mod car. Um, and she'll, she'll razz me every so often and be, you know, what the heck? I've been quicker and faster than you, um, you know, in, in, uh, and, and she's right. She has. However, she did it in a, you know, dragster that was 250 something inches long. Um, it's a whole different ball game, a completely different ball game. Um, the, the, you know, the wheelbase makes all the difference in the world. Um, and the suspension makes all the difference in the world. You know, those dragsters are hardtails, the wheelbases, 
you know, twice more than more than twice of what a pro mod car is, you know, and that's like you said, you know, a lot of these nitro guys don't want to get in a pro mod. Well, that's why, um, you know, they're just there. They are a handful and they will humble. I don't care how great of a racer you are. You could be humbled at any given moment by a pro mod car. And like I said, that's why I said from the burnout to the, to the finish line. Cause you know, I've seen, uh, uh, give you a perfect example, Jeffrey Barker, great racer. Great. I would let him get in any one of my race cars at any given time. He had an incident where the car got away from him and he took out the tree on a burnout. It's possible. And it could happen to any one of us. Um, I'm sorry. I had a call coming. I don't know if that black. <laughs> it popped up there. for a second. It I, happens. I, I, I apologize. I apologize. Actually, that was my daughter. She knew I was talking about her driving a pro mod. She yeah. probably got excited. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, th- there's a perfect example. I mean, you, you look at guys like Todd Tuttero, Stevie Jackson. Um, uh, the, the list goes on. Steve Matusik, all great racers have all wrecked race cars. You do this long enough. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, it's you know, when and they, how they bad. are. Yeah, they're, they're animals. They are absolute animals. Um, so, I mean, you look at, it's it's just, you know, in some of it, yes, sometimes could have been avoided. But you know what? We're race car drivers. Um, we want to get to the finish line. And sometimes we make not the greatest choices when we're inside those race cars. That's part of the gig, you know? I- I saw a dude, I forget the racer's name at the, uh, at the night under fire, uh, one pass, the car wanted to really start climbing the bars. You know, he pedaled it real fast, settled back down, took out the next round. It tried to do the same thing. He was behind a little bit. I think he pedaled it. It didn't really settle down. He was back in it to win it. And I whipped my camera around. I swear I saw three tires off the ground on that car. And I'm thinking, this dude's about to go for the kind of ride that nobody wants to go for in one of these cars. Cause two wheels off the ground towards the top end is bad. But when you've got all three off the ground, that's, that's not where you want to be. Nope. And I've been there and done it. There's, there's footage of it. If you look deep enough in YouTube, you'll find it. Um, and sometimes I've been on the good end of that. And I've been on the bad end of it. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a fine line that racers walk. Um, and, you know, and a real good racer will tell you that was my fault. I went too far. I, you know, it, it, it went, you know, I, I should have lifted and didn't. Um, so that's, uh, that's part of the gig. You're going to have it. And um, it's just unfortunate that it's so expensive to fix these damn things after we do stupid shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, yeah. That, that's the uh, the downside is it's all fun and games till you you got to call up the chassis guy, and you know if he has a boat, he's thinking about I'm going to get another boat out of this deal. This ain't going to be cheap, and I'm I'm going to name this one after this driver. And yep, you know, you got that right. And what what's it like when you do, do you have time to? Because I know a lot of times when you start going fast enough, it starts slowing down. Have you been to that point where it starts slowing down where you're like, all right, this could end badly. I need to lay off it. Or do you just go off instinct and go? Um, yeah. I, so the, 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 I've been in both situations. You know, my last wreck um, was in Darlington last summer. And, um, that one, it just was instantaneous. Like it, 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 the car got upset in a spot that had never got upset before. Um, the car showed no sign, you know, there was no wiggle, there was no shake, there was no nothing. It just took the tire off before I could react. And the car was sideways, um, and up on one tire. Now that one, it it happened like within the first hundred foot of the racetrack. I've played it over in my head a bazillion times. I don't really think there was anything different that I could have done um, that would have changed the outcome of that. Um, A lot of times I would say from the eighth mile on, you're just kind of holding on um, and you're along for the ride and you do have a lot more time to kind of decipher things. Eighth mile, 3.7 seconds happens 
awfully fast. And um, at 200 miles an hour, um, there's a, a lot of times it's just, you almost have to train yourself um, to know when enough is enough. And that's difficult. It is, especially when it's eliminations and the adrenaline's going. Um, I was I was really good about it in qualifying. I would say I was probably 50-50 in eliminations. <laughs> As most um, racers are. Yeah, you, you know, you just don't want to lose. But the reality of it is these things are so quick, so fast, um, so expensive. You know, you, you not only are you taking a chance of hurting yourself, but you're taking a chance of hurting somebody else. And most of the times we're out here racing for 10, 25 grand in a $300,000 race car. So it's, uh, it's a fine line to walk. I've noticed a lot of times too, it seems like you, you mentioned stuff happening so quick in the first so many feet of the track. And I've seen a lot of times where I, I think uh, Mr. Horde down at the West's race, tire shake. Tire shake, mm -hmm. I think, is the, the the ultimate enemy of a pro mod racer because most of the time, you'll see a lot of guys, tire shake is something you can drive through until it's like F5 tornado level tire shake, and it probably does some pretty gnarly stuff. Have oh, yeah. Experience that. What's that like to be inside one of these cars when they're trying to cut a sub, you know, 0.9 second 60 foot, and those tires start trying to do basketball crossover dribbles? Yeah, I mean, I actually had one so violent one time, it broke a wishbone. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, and that was probably one of the most violent ones I had ever experienced. Um, and honestly, I didn't realize how much damage I was doing to my back with that tire shake until I actually had the accident in Bristol and broke my back. And then I saw things that were already had happened. They were able to show me, well, this is from today. This must, this is from, you know, years of, you know, whatever. Um, so that, that tire shake can be as much as a little wiggle um, where you're like, okay, it's going to be okay. And it'll kind of get through it to it multiplies. And like you said, the car will become like a basketball. Um, and it, 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 it's violent enough where um, it, I've had doors come off. <laughs> I have, I've, like I said, I broke wishbone. Um, and, you know, that's, again, that's something, you know, as you, the more laps you make, you know, you can't, um, you not only have to have great reaction time on the tree, but you have to have great reaction time in the car to be a, you know, a really, really good racer. You need to know um, where that, where that line is of where it's not going to drive through the tire shake. And it's going to become so violent that a lot of nasty things are going to happen. Um, so yeah, that, that's something that unfortunately it, it takes experience and laps to figure out. Some people don't ever figure it out. And that's why you see some of the violent stuff that you see out there. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, tire shake and anything that happens in that, in that first, we'll say hundred feet, when that car starts to get upset and it's accelerating towards terminal velocity, you don't have a long time or a big window to write the ship because before you realize no. you're in trouble, you're already facing the wrong wall. And at that point, absolutely. It's luck, whether you're going to save the car or not. 1 million percent, 1 million percent, you know, it kind of cracks me up, you know, when these guys do get all sideways and spinning around and luckily the other guy made a great pass and they crashed so bad, but didn't crash, <laughs> Yeah, you know, crashed without hitting anything. Um, spin it around and start rolling down the racetrack and you know the fans start applauding I'm thinking you know they're applauding this dipshit <laughs> and, and, and really they, he ought to have his competition license taken away you know but you know what I I've been that guy you know it's it's you know but the, the fans get all excited about it but the reality of it is is thank god the one car went or you were on a solo I'll never forget one time I was in Memphis, Tennessee for a PDRA race and I left the starting line and that thing got so violent, not a shape. Um, and thank God, Tyler, um, Tyler, um, Miller at the time was racing pro boost with us. He couldn't start his car because had he started his car and we left the starting line together, I would have T-boned him right in the driver's door. Um, 
not proud of it, but that's, you know, I was early on and um, that was the first year of my pro boost career um, and um, was willing to take a little bit more chances than I probably should have. And, you know, that, but that's how fast it happens. Like you just said, you know, it's before you, you think you got it and you own it, you don't have it. You're, you're sideways and facing walls. You shouldn't be. Yeah. It's, it's never a good moment when you can read door sponsors on any vehicle, you know, and I've seen points where I've, mm-hmm. I've read them on dragsters and that takes a lot of effort to, oh, yeah. to set a dragster that much, but I've seen it done. And as someone that is a racer, myself and crude on cars like you'll start seeing someone make a pass and it's like you're almost trying to coach them yourself you're like no no get out, get out, let's stop. <laughs> you find yourself doing that too where you're like trying to like will someone to make the right decision oh yeah yeah i've been on the starting line plenty of times sometimes it's my daughter sometimes it's other racers um but yeah absolutely you know and, and it always I, I will say this um I do believe it always looks worse outside the car than the driver uh, believes it is. (laughs) You know, as a driver, we always say, well, it wasn't that bad in the car. Well, when you watch the video and you see it, you're like, well, it didn't seem that, but you know, it it doesn't just, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know if just because you're the guy in control, you feel like you have more control than the person standing outside watching it. Um, But yeah, I've, I've, I've had that conversation many a times. It's not good when the crew chief shows up to pick you up at the top end and the first thing out of the mouth is, what were you thinking? <laughs> That's not how you want the conversation to start, right? Absolutely. Now, on the flip side of that, let's talk about when you make that, that good run. What's that feel like from a driver's point of view? Because you know when you're on a rip. I mean, there's no two bits about it. You know when everything is going right. I could only imagine what is that feeling like in a pro mod, you know, busting out a track 250 plus mile an hour and the, uh, that blower singing the songs of its people going through the top end. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because most of the quickest runs I've ever made were the, the, um, most uneventful. <laughs> that, that's how you want it. <laughs> yeah. You want, your, you want uh, your race car passes and your flights to be uneventful. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the quickest and fastest runs I've ever made um, have been extremely uneventful. I will say probably one of the most fun cars that I ever drove. Lee White was tuning uh, a car uh, for some gentlemen that bought. um, Oh, geez. Um, He used to uh, Jason Scruggs. Yeah. Jason Scruggs sold uh, his red uh, Camaro RJ car. Um, and Lee White set it up for some guys, um, with a five speed Liberty, uh, lock, uh, lock converter oh and a Noonan 4.9. Yeah. And I got to, um, I got to debut it, um, down in Bradington, um, at, um, the, one of the winter races. And, um, it was actually one of my first 3.6 second passes. And I want to say it was at 208, 208. And, um, that was probably one of the most fun cars I drove, you know, cause it had the five speed in it and it had the lockup, which makes it feel like a six speed and, you know, and all that's going on, you know, within 3.6 seconds. And, um, that was a pretty wild, uh, ride. I really enjoyed driving that car that weekend. You're earning your paycheck inside one of those cars for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's funny. Uh, I, I will find myself falling down the rabbit hole of watching vintage racing on youtube of all kinds and to me watching old door car racers pull linko levers that is an <laughs> art form that is just something that i you i could never get tired of watching yeah absolutely absolutely my father had a few cars with those levers lightning rods linko levers or uh, clutchless transmissions like you see this the super stock hemi cars love seeing those dudes sidestep that clutch and just it looks like they're trying to rip that shifter out of the car. <laughs> it's it's so that looks like something. If I had lottery money, well, I don't it's, want it. It's it's funny you say that because so um, my daughter is is racing uh, Pro Outlaw six thirty two this season in PDRA, and um, 
in, in preparation to go pro stock racing. And, um, so it's got a, it's got a clutch in it. It's got a five speed Blanco, but with a Liberty shifter. Um, and I'll tell you what, that thing looks like so much fun to drive. I'm actually jealous. Like I'm watching her drop the clutch, do the burnout with the, you know, the Liberty shifter and, and, um, man, it just, you know, her winding it up and putting it in the beams and, I'm actually kind of jealous. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, all, all I do is press a button, man, it to the floor and let go of a button. You know, I, I thought I was going to get to do some shifting, but they turned that rule around. So, but um, yeah, no, I, uh, I actually uh, am extremely jealous and I'm hoping that uh, maybe someday she'll let me get in her car, but I don't know. I always tell her, no, she can't get in the pro mod. So I think it's probably slim to none chance. You, you might have to pull the old, uh, the old dad <laughs> veto card out on that one. Say now, now listen, that sometimes things just have to work this way and just throw your seat <laughs> in it and, and go. And I, I could imagine, you know, it's, it's always wild watching the, the pro stock racers with banging those gears like that, because that is just, uh, that's precision fighting right there. You have to be absolutely so in tune with that vehicle, because if you just barely miss anything during that entire pass, it's not going to perform how it wants. However, you know, it's like comparing surgical tools where the pro stock car is like a beautiful scalpel and the pro <laughs> mod is the loud pneumatic bone saw. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great analogy. <laughs> and, 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 and you're either, it's hard to be both, but most of the time you're either a scalpel or a bone saw kind of person, unless you're like Erica Enders, you might be able to do both or Alex Laughlin. But most of the time, I think when you try to put a pro mod racer in a pro stock car, you're going to try to wrestle that thing a little bit too much, right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I've been going back and forth with the idea. I don't know. We'll see. I, you, 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 you might just see me in one. You might just see me in one. Yeah, you know what? And at that point, is it going to be an NHRA Pro Stocker, or are you going to do the the mountain motor thing? Because I like mountain motors. I like the mountain motors. I I like the mountain motor, um, and the NHRA is starting to pay a little bit of attention to the mountain motor cars. They're gonna they're supposedly going to be in Brainerd. Um, they're going to be in Charlotte, um, and uh, I. I if, I'll be honest with you. If, if I see NHRA show a little bit more interest in that mountain motor pro stock, do not rule out a two car Caruso family racing team. And that's cool on many different levels because there's just, for me, like I love blower cars because they're just, they're angry, but there's yep. something about big block cars, whether it's a big block NA car or a big block nitrous car that they just sound a different level of angry. Like absolutely big, big block NA cars are fine scotch angry. Big block nitrous cars are Jack Daniels on college night. Angry. <laughs> which, I love it. Which to me, I, I could go with either one. Like, you know, it's absolutely it just it's do you agree that when you hear one of those cars fire up you know oh, what yeah. it is right oh absolutely there's nothing like it there's yeah. nothing like it you know it's like a screw blown car whether it's a alcohol funny car or a screw blown pro mod you know when one of those cars is making a pass <laughs> because it's screaming at all ends of the track yep yeah no i i i uh I love everything about them. I grew up, you know, with mountain motor pro stock, you know, first getting my feet wet and drag racing with the IHRA. So, um, you know, to me that, to me, that's more natural than the 500 cubic inch. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the era of Bob Glidden and Warren Johnson and Lee Shepard and all that very, very cool. Um, but I was a Northeast IHRA guy, you know, and, uh, it, it, it that, that was to me was more normal was the mountain motor pro stock. And on that level too, NHRA and the mountain motor stuff, like extracting the horsepower out of those engines, the way that those guys do with those cars. And I'm sure you're seeing it with Camry's car is like, it's really such an art form. Those cars are because you have to have everything right. Every pass. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. And most of it's coming from ratio. It's not like you're just adding more boost or, you know, changing jet sizes or, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all in the ratio. So it's, it's, uh, you, you know, it, it's definitely a science and, um, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. I I've, I've definitely enjoyed, um, my time and, you know, and Johnny Placino is, who's been kind of overseeing this whole deal with Camry and the pro outlaw 632. So we've been spending a lot of time in his pits too. Um, you know, being around all the mountain motor pro stock guys and stuff. And it's, it's been really, it's been a fun season. It's been pretty cool. And, you know, to talk about the mountain motor pro stock guys in the PDRA, what a cast of characters you walk through those pits, at least from my media experience. And I've learned that there is absolutely no such thing as a boring mountain motor pro stock interview. I don't know. There are so many different flavors of personality from, you know, Pacino, Elijah Morton, you know, every Monte Calvo. Yeah. Monte Calvo. Yeah, Monte Calvo. It's, and what's bad is I've been in the pits when you have multiples of them together and Boone in the Oh yeah. And it's like, I, you, you just sit back and you drink it in. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you can't, uh, you can't forget the flying meatball. No, not at all. <laughs> Now, we're going to hit up one more sponsor here on the show real quick, and then we're going to dive into our last segment. So go to commercial break. We will be right back here on the Dragzine Podcast. ProMod Racers are dominating the strip with Pat Musi power, and now you can rule the street with a new Elderbrock Musi 555 crate engine. Every 555 is built by Pat Musi in his North Carolina race shop using the best Elderbrock components. These big blocks make up to 723 horsepower on 91 octane pump gas with the reliability that Musi engines are known for. The Elderbrock Musi 555 is available in Pro Flow 4 EFI or carbureted versions and are covered by Elderbrock's industry-leading 24-month warranty. Get full specs at elderbrock.com forward slash Musi dash racing. All right, we're back and we were talking NA racing and whatnot and you know you're talking about your daughter and racing has really been a family affair for you you mentioned your dad drug you into the sport like so many of us you know stackers full of junior dragsters the whole deal what's you know let's take a step back let's put the father take the racing helmet off put the father hat on what's it been like for you to see your daughters succeed in the sport because they you know they they've won races you know you cannot you can't take a race away any race win away from anybody what's it been like to see them be successful behind the wheel oh it's been i mean it's uh it's one of those deals like you 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 almost can't even explain it it's it's almost even more satisfying than myself you know being successful um you know to, to see camry uh come up through junior dragsters go down to frank holly's you know super comp race um, top dragster race, you know, IHRA final rounds in top dragster, PDRA wins in top dragster, then um, got to team up with Randy Meyer racing for a season for a few races um, and uh, get her first win at Norwalk, get, get to hold her first Wally at Norwalk, um, the first place that I won. Um, and actually the weekend she won, we got to share the winner's circle. I won in pro mod that weekend too with her. So, you know, that um, there's been a lot of stuff that you just can't even put a price tag on that, you know, with our family being able to go out there and do this as a family. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and, and like I said, you know, a lot of times I actually get a little bit more enjoyment and satisfaction out of seeing Camry, you know, be successful um, than my own self. And does that kind of change the dynamic for you guys as a racing team? Because I guess, you know, the old phrase, too many cooks in the kitchen, but you know, when when you have family, it it kind of changes things sometimes, I think, because it it can get, you know, that that line between family and racing can start to bleed and things can get kind of dicey and spicy in a hurry. Right. Um, yeah, but for the, for the most part, respectfully um, dicey and spicy. Yes. Yes. You know, we're, we're, we're Italian. So everything's spicy and dicey already, no matter what we could be sitting at home at the kitchen table and it could get spicy and dicey. Um, so, but, um, you know, there, there's a lot of love and respect between all three of us. You know, my father did it for a long time before me. 
Um, I did it for a long time before Camry. Um, and um, I think Camry's got a bright future ahead of her in drag racing. Um, you know, she, I, I believe she, she has, you know, you'll hear, you'll hear crew chiefs say, you know, some people, um, there's people that drive race cars and then there's race car drivers, you know, um, and, and with Camry, you know, being at the racetrack, literally from the day that she was born, um, she's been at a racetrack. I, I think she has the natural talent to really be a great race car driver. Um, but it's going to take time and it's going to come in time. Um, she, she can be a really good, uh, learner and listener and it's showed, you know, she's been down to Frank Holly's every time she's wanted to move up. Frank's been a great mentor to her. Um, and, uh, actually she's going down in a couple of weeks to spend some time with Frank again, with this car, you know, just to fine tune some things and, and, and see how she can, you know, be better. Um, so, but, uh, I, I don't know that I would have stuck with this as long as I had or done it at the level I've done it without family. Um, so it's the, you know, the family part point, the family part of it to me is, is just as important as the need for speed, if not more important. And for me, you know, I came from a racing family myself, you know, earliest pictures of me at the track with, you know, my dad in his helmet, you know, and to me, racing, like, it's going to sound weird. It's normal. Like I, w- I would, you know, some people go on to stick and ball sports as their thing. Like yep. a racetrack literally feels like home. You just, you, absolutely. It, it's so hard for people to understand when you first take them to the races that you just, it's almost like you could go to any track and you pretty much know how things are to go and where stuff is. And you're there with like-minded people. And it's hard to not have a good time at a racetrack, especially when you're with. Oh family. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it. It's, I tell people all the time, you know, the going to the racetrack is our summer home. You know, that's, that's our vacation spot, you know? So uh, we're just lucky enough to go on vacation and, get to drive race cars <laughs> you get to do it multiple times per year right? <laughs> yeah, exactly did you ever think in your wildest dreams that your family would be essentially where it is in the racing world now i mean you know you've raced nhra level pro mod you know you guys have won a lot of races was this ever on the roadmap or you just, you know, cause some people, they, they're plan I call them planners. They have their big board goals. They're just going to work towards it. And then there's the people that just, they open up the gate and let life happen. You know, where's it been for you? So it's kind of funny because my dream growing up, you know, being around the racetrack and going racing was actually, my eyes was always on mountain motor pro stock or, 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 you know, or pro stock, you know, I, I loved Pro Modified. I watched Pro Modified. I, I, I followed it, but I, I never no, I didn't think I would be driving a Pro Mod. You know, I, I had hoped to someday find a way to get, you know, get myself into a Pro Stock car. Um, but it just kind of took the path that it took. You know, like I said, you know, my father was always into top sportsman cars, you know, nitrous. Then he had a blown, you know, Pro Mod car. Um, so I think on that end of it, because of my father, I was kind of destined to end up in a pro modified car. Um, but I always, you know, prior to that, I always wanted to drive a pro stock car. It's, it's funny that a lot of times you'll see people that like, there's, there's that, uh, that line in the path where they go. And a lot of times when like some guys are like, they, they just fall like they but they wanted to bracket race. They started out in that. Then they went to top sports and they're like, my goal was to be in a pro stock car. And here I am. Some people want to go the fuel car route. And it's just, it's interesting to see how some people go those different routes and ways. And they're like, you know, you hear them talk about how they were obsessed with nitro and that's what they wanted to do. And then other guys are like, nope, I just want to, you know, go fast with doors around me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, you know, the, the fuel classes never really did anything for me. Um, I enjoy watching them. Um, I, uh, hats off to them. Uh, wasn't my thing. Now my daughter, Camry, if she has an opportunity to drive something and she gets the race car, she don't care what it is. Um, she's really enjoying the door, door car thing now. Um, 
but up until this season, she had never sat in a door car or driven anything that even on the street, driven a manual car. Um, so it's kind of funny how that, but the opportunity was there. She took it. Um, if the opportunity was there for a pro stock motorcycle, I believe she would get on it. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't, <laughs> but my daughter, I believe she would. I do. I believe she would put her butt on a nitro Harley. If someone, you know, rolled one up and said, here, give this a shot. I don't think she'd want to do a whole season of it, but I think she would, she would, she's that type of a girl that, uh, or that type of a racer that if she gets to race car, it don't matter what it is. She wants to race car. I don't think that she would physically fit on a nitro Harley because if you look at <laughs> Probably what, not. The, the thing is, is like, I always joke, you can tell a nitro Harley racer versus an, like a pro stock bike racer, just by looking <laughs> yeah. at them. <laughs> the night under fire this weekend there were nitrous bikes turbo bikes and top fuel bikes there you could definitely tell the three different <laughs> riders apart and it was just i looked at them taking the picture this makes sense now and again it comes down to would you have would i ever do that absolutely not like yeah. it's like you know you go from mild medium to super hot if you want to make like a spice comparison between those three classes and the guys <laughs> on like the nitrous bikes you know they're they're trying to finesse it down the track there's a dude there with a turbo bike which you know like not your typical like extended swing arm you know xdra bike this was like a pro stock motorcycle with a turbo different level of crazy like that thing moved out <laughs> Then you got the dudes with the legit nitro Harleys with, you know, the zoomy exhaust coming out directly, you know, between their legs out back. And I'm like, you guys are, I got a picture of that where it looks like just fire shooting out of the human on the bike. I'm like, what makes you think that that's a good time? Like what's going on between the years? Yeah. It's not for me. I can tell you that. No. And, there's people that look at a pro mod that goes, you know, a 560 and say, nope, I'm good. I don't want to be going in something that's <laughs> trying to move a multi-axis at one time. <laughs> this is something I always like to, to ask drivers as well is, would you ever see yourself in a different class? And for something like you, you know, what about radial racing? Because that's kind of, you know, almost in the same vein, but still pretty gnarly. Is that something you ever thought, yeah, maybe we'll try that? I, you know, I have considered it, um, you know, with the way the purses were, you know, we talked about it a more than one occasion. Um, the, the problem for me in this, may, <laughs> a lot of people may be like, is he serious? Um, I just don't like the schedule that they run on, like going radial racing. You know what I mean? I would drive a radial car, um, but the schedule would drive me nuts. Like they don't start till like four in the afternoon and they run till four in the morning. Uh, and then there's nothing to do all day long, you know, like that would drive me absolutely nuts. Um, but as far as, you know, other forms of racing, I, I am, I'm seriously considering the, the, the mountain motor pro stock thing. It's a, it's, it's a serious uh, consideration at this point. It's very funny when you see someone's reaction the first time going to one of the really big, like a, events we'll call them events because that's what they yeah. are yeah they, they're like how long does this go to i'm like <laughs> till we're told we can't race anymore and i've and then and then they like they spend a week of testing and qualifying and right i mean like there's holy there's like uh seven qualifying passes or something for some of the not... classes there are now it seems <laughs> a little bit more of a controlled explosion but i've been to some <laughs> events where legit i have gotten up at six o'clock in the morning to drive to the track and it started later in the afternoon and i was back home at 6 a.m the next day that is not for everybody yeah and, that's not for me you know <laughs> it, it makes you appreciate having a rig you can sleep in at the track i will tell you that much because the yeah. guy that i used to crew for when he got an rv i was like this is the greatest thing ever like, I don't have to worry about going to the hotel. Like, we just, we park the car and we, we go to sleep. This is awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I And think there's that, nothing like hanging out at the track, too. You know, oh, it's, it, it's camaraderie. Always, it's always fun, too, when you see people get to see what happens after hours at a race for the first time, too. I'm yeah. like, I'll explain them. you know, remember, we have to be up early and functioning 
tomorrow. Just keep that <laughs> out to have fun because there's a lot of fun to be had. But oh yeah, my dad always said actions have consequences, and I don't, <laughs> I don't want to hear about it at eight o'clock in the morning when I'm poking you to get up when we got stuff to do. Ain't gonna fly. You you brought oh, this yeah. upon yourself. I'm sure you've uttered that phrase <laughs> a few times. Oh yeah. I, I, not only have I uttered it, I've been told it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that where it, with age comes wisdom? Wisdom, right? It, yeah. I was for sure. There, there's two places that I've found that are the worst possible places to be hungover in this known universe: a racetrack and a church on Sunday morning. Those are two places that if you're hung over at them, you're just, you are not going to have a good time. Yeah. You, you ain't lying. It's just, it, and it, again, it comes down to it. It's like we talked about earlier, the lessons you learn behind the wheel. You're like, I'm not going to do that again. You'll learn these lessons after the fact. And you don't want to end up on some of these Facebook pages or, uh, you know, it's uh, anymore. It's almost like you want to tell people, don't become an internet meme. Whether it's what you do on the track or off the track, you, you can't do that these days, right? That is a fact. That is a fact. Now, I always like to have fun with my guests with a final question. You know, I've got a time machine. I've used that for scenarios. I've got unlimited bank account scenarios. I've got putting people in charge scenarios. So for you, Mark, you've had some some pretty successful drivers step in between the uh, the, the, the doors of your vehicles from time to time and have done well. Who is the one dream driver that you would love to see go out and pick up a win for your team if you had to have happen? You can pick any, you know, well, I'll open it up. You know, you can be a owner of any kind of vehicle, anything. Where's the person where you want to tap them on the shoulder and say, your job this weekend is to win? What driver, what class? I'd have to say my daughter Camry and Pro Stock. You know that's that's a very admirable and awesome answer. I, I dig that. You know that's uh, that that is not taking the easy way out there. I like that. Because <laughs> like, yeah, so you, no, absolutely. Be, because I'm sure it. You know, I'll put it out there. When that happens for you, that's going to probably be like that next level experience, isn't it? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Absolutely. I, you know, I've been fortunate enough, um, you know, to see her win in, in top dragster. I've been fortunate enough to see her win in uh, a fuel dragster. Um, and um, it's, it's some of the, the best times that I've had, like I said, I mean, even above and beyond some of my own success um, it's, it's great to see her. And I know, and I know my father too, you know, getting to see, you know, two generations, um, it's pretty satisfying for him as well, knowing that, you know, he's the patriarch of this whole deal. And, and if it wasn't for him, you know, I, I, neither one of us probably would have had the opportunities that we've had. So, and, you know, again, from my, uh, from my media seat, if you will, some of the most bonkers celebrations I've seen on the starting line is a family racing operation like that. When a son or a daughter wins a big event like I can't like I get excited about it like I'm having a good time watching all of these people up there lose their mind and just seeing that moment when the family realizes that that you know they, they've reached that goal that moment you that again it's something you can't put a price on is it yeah, absolutely no it, it's it's not it um I can tell you this you know this season here um in in pro outlaw 632 being the only naturally aspirated car in the class and having to compete against all these nitrous guys, um, you know, being naturally aspirated, you're at the mercy of the weather conditions and there's only, only so much ratio you can throw at something <laughs> that is limited on horsepower. We can't just, you know, you know, turn up the systems or, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a challenge. So just winning around this season uh, is almost like winning a race. You know, we get lucky and put together four round wins one of these weekends. I'll tell you what, the PDRA and the drag racing community has never seen a party like there's going to be. I could only imagine the fun and adventure that will happen, right? It'll be a, uh, I will say it'll be a Scott Palmer level <laughs> celebration, which I think he is set 
the platinum standard for post-race fun and shenanigans, not even winning a race, just running <laughs> up this man takes it like a, let's do some throttle laps in a let's do it you know with that that race down at uh eddieville i think it was with chris graves's dealing yeah put someone in the car and starts throttle lapping a nitro car in a starting line and someone at the nhra i think at that point was probably having multiple strokes but scott's out there <laughs> having a good old time just you know we'll burn this they thing got down. To. Yeah, you know, one of the only people I know crazy brave enough to have a nitro-powered door car with the goal of going 300 (laughs) miles an hour in a door car. Dude's out of his mind, but that's the example of to have fun. God bless him. Yeah, no, it's all about having fun. I know, you know, we we won that deal down there with Alex driving our car um, for West Bucks deal last year, and you know, Camry was like, he's driving it back. We're driving it back. And Alex and Camry crawled into the car. And they drove it back from the winner's circle, you know, doing throttle laps all the way. And again, you can't put a price on those memories that you make at the racetrack because I've got it myself winning events with teams and winning rounds. And it's like, you look back on that and you just, you can't, you can't put a price on it. You can't Prices. take that away. Absolutely. It's all about having a good time because unfortunately life is a finite thing and you got to enjoy every minute of it. Right. Oh yeah. No doubt about that. That's how I live my life. Well, Mark, our time here is coming to a close and I'd like to give my guests their opportunity to channel their inner John force and thank all their sponsors and tell people where to find them on social media and rant and rave and do whatever they need. As long as they don't violate the rules we went over to start (laughs) with. So I'll turn it over to you. The floor is yours, my friend. Tell people who you need to thank, where they can learn more about your racing program, and what you got going on. Well, first and foremost, uh, Caruso Family Racing needs to thank Wright Trailers. Uh, They're a major sponsor of ours. Um, And if you're ever looking for the right trailer at the right price, get a hold of us. Um, We can help hook you up and help you out. Also, NGK Spark Plugs, uh, Lucas Oil, VP Racing Fuels. Uh, There's so many. The list goes on and on and on. Kings of Vapor, a huge part of our program. And, um, you know, as far as people, Lee White, Hank Jackson have been a huge uh, part of the Caruso Family Racing Pro Mod team. Um, As far as on Camry's deal, um, uh, Rich Atkins has been a big part of that. John and Johnny Placino, uh, John Montecalvo. uh, A lot of people have been um, very instrumental in Camry's program this year. Uh, so we're very thankful uh, to them. And uh, we are on Facebook and Instagram as Caruso Family Racing. And uh, you can catch our uh, Caruso Family Racing cocktails with the Carusos every uh, Tuesday before and after a PDRA race uh, on our Facebook page. So thank you, Brian. We appreciate you having us on. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon and talk about some race wins. Absolutely. And, you know, before we close things out, I've got to thank the sponsors. Allow me to come on and have a great time with people like you, you know, performance distributors, Airflow Research, ProCharger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, Mosier Engineering, Comp Cams, Fast Technology, Edelbrock, Manly, JE Pistons, and Dart. Mark, it was awesome seeing you once again. And I'm sure our paths will cross again in, you know, the 18 months left in the racing season or whatever we've got going on, right? <laughs> Right on. I look forward to it, man. See you soon. Right on.